Hi everyone and Happy New Year! I'm Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 82 of InsureTech Insider. We are still recording remotely and we still want your suggestions on people we should get on the show. We want to hear about as wide a range of people as possible, so do get in contact by emailing podcast11fs.com with your suggestions of who we should have along. So today we're doing a year roundup of 2020 as well as looking at what we think 2021 might look like for the industry. Um, This has been a year like, well, we've never seen before. Uh, Insecurities, fears, a rapidly changing world, um, and that covers insurance as well. So um, as always, I'm not alone. I am joined today by my co-host, Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel? I am very well, thank you very much. Very well, looking forward to 2021. I think we all are. We are also joined by a great panel of guests, all making much welcomed returns to the show. So first up, we have Sam White, CEO of Freedom Services Group. Welcome back, Sam. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, as I said, looking forward to a, to a new year and perhaps a, a rather different year, we hope. Um, yeah, also- for sure. <laughs> Also joining us uh, is Steve Wardlaw, Chairman at Emerald Life. Welcome back, Steve. How are you doing today? I am good. Glad this is uh, an audio broadcast. I've still got lockdown hair, lockdown weight, lockdown everything else. But uh, I, I have a thousand New Year's resolutions for 2021. And if I get 10 of them done, I'll be super happy. Well, it's very ambitious of you. I think um, lockdown weight doesn't count when you've just had Christmas. Like, I think, you know, <laughs> everybody gets a free pass. Um, and last but not least, we have Nikki Daniels, board advisor for Honcho Markets and founder and director of EZ Insurance Solutions. How are you doing today, Nikki? I'm really good, thank you. Um, recovered from the festivities and starting to look forward. Brilliant. Well, thank you all for joining us. Let's get on with the show. So the first part of the show uh, today is a roundup, um, as I said, of 2020. Um, So the first topic that we want to discuss is digital transformation. So as with all industries, insurance had to adapt pretty blinking quickly to uh, new digital ways of working. Um, what, what was the hardest part of having to suddenly go, go digital, um, either, either for you guys or, or for the industry more broadly? What, you know, did you see, have you got any horror stories you'd like to share about people just, just not making things work? Who wants to go first? Nikki? As a whole, I think the insurance industry actually performed pretty well compared to some other industries. Um, I think my my gut feel is the hardest thing was to let go of the control as your staff all started to work from home and remotely. So, you know, we're so used to seeing people in offices and we're used to thinking we're in control of the situation. And quite a lot of trust had to be dished out, I think. And I think as a whole, actually, the industry came out pretty well. Anybody want to add to that or or, or contest it? You're looking pensive, Sam. (laughs) No, no, I agree with Nikki. I think we did a pretty good job. I mean, I was super impressed with my IT team who had told me that we absolutely couldn't have certain workers working from home and resolve the situation within five days of the pandemic, which throws up other sorts of questions in terms of what we're capable of doing in challenge. There's been a lot of talk this week about um, how quickly the vaccine's been developed. And could we do other medical breakthroughs as quickly if we all focused as much? And I think moving to home working was very much the case in the insurance industry. We we all did step up and we probably have been a bit too restrictive over the last few years. So I think that's great. I do think for me personally, some of the legacy systems that we had from a technology viewpoint did cause problems in, in terms of 
trying to make that happen. So we made it happen, but some of the workarounds were quite unique, shall we say. <laughs> I think I think it sounds like um, you're, you're, you're suggesting that we, what we saw was a, was a you know, a, a kick up the bum, you know, was, acceleration was forced upon the industry and, uh, and, and, and it mostly reacted positively. And Steve, do you, do you agree with that? Or do you, do you think, oh no, we're still just plodding along? I'm going to be as positive as I can be, another New Year's resolution. Um, so basically, I think uh, process-wise, we did pretty well um, in terms of becoming remote and understand how that works. I think 2021 will bring a philosophical debate. Uh, another New Year's resolution was not to be stereotypical about nationalities, but if you have any uh, groups that involve American companies, American philosophies are very much being in the office all the time, and we've had a couple of cultural issues about how soon can we all go back to the office five days a week, which we have parked, because I think there's about to become a philosophical difference. And I think because of some of the work we do at Emerald, I would say IT and tech transformation on process and delivery has been pretty good. I think this year, for lots of reasons, bandwidth as well, has stymied some new product development, because much as we can be very tech on the front end, literally, but let's say metaphorically, at some stage you have to go back to actuaries writing with uh, Quill uh, pens on parchment and trying to explain to them new risks in a new era you just need to be in front of them and you need to hold their hand give them a cup of tea and a shilling and they might be able to listen to you the <laughs> idea they'd be on a zoom call is like having my mother landing on the moon sometime in february okay well that's that's quite a balanced a balanced approach but i see your point about the the, the philosophical point is is an interesting one because um and actually the sam mentioned it as well you know oh no, no you couldn't possibly work from home it's not possible or you must be in the office because if you're not in the office then you know you're not working or whatever it is um so do we do we think that this kind of this way of working this now now we can do it now we've proved we can do it what do you think will be the outcome of that kind of philosophical debate or that will there More be balance. a sorry more balance. I, I think almost every organisation that has introduced home working that's been able to, because we have to remember that we're in an industry where we can choose to some greater or lesser extent. Um, I think there's going to be more choice. People can avoid the commute. They can meet with team players when it adds value to what they're doing. Um, and I think we have to look at the value proposition of where people work and how people work. Um, there are definitely some people who have really struggled to work at home. You know, mum, dad, uh, two grown-up children. Yep, N N you know, I, <laughs> Nigel yeah, in I'm particular. With you, Nigel. <laughs> yeah, but it's tough. You know, you know, some people have been in their bedrooms for eighteen hours a day because they're working there, sleeping there, and everything else. But I think that um, I've noticed. I, I had to make a call to Bupa, oddly enough, and Bupa had converted this guy's garage. Because obviously there's the security aspect of some types of job, you know, where if you're in a household where three or four of you are working from home, that level of confidentiality needs maintaining. I actually think business generally has stepped up quite strongly and I can foresee people saying, and how much do I pay for office space? And what do I do with all that office space? We have we have the issue so, you just so, mentioned there, um, Nikki, in this house because my partner works for an insure tech, um, and we've just moved house and we haven't quite got the bedrooms. We're still missing some doors. So it's very open plan, so he will have to go and sit in the attic to have calls like secret squirrel talks when he's talking about product development or something that I, he doesn't want me to hear. Um, Nigel, whoop, sorry, what did you want to add I, there? I was just going to I was just going to say I, I think you're right about the tr we've called this digital transformation. I think we've done digital acceleration. 
So everyone's sped up. Necessity is the mother of all innovation, as we say. We didn't have a choice. We had to evolve or, or, or stop doing business. And many have stopped doing business, but we've been lucky enough to, to keep writing in the insurance world. I, my, my bigger worry is that well, there's two, actually. One is the hybrid. And I've done a number of meetings with folks in Australia where they are back in the offices. And when you've got a bunch of people in the room and a bunch of people on Zoom, as we've all been doing for the last nine months or so, it was probably one of the hardest meetings of my life because that we, we'd, we'd all been used to engaging as we are now. But when you've, when you've automatically got back into the room and not seen someone for nine months, all the conversation was happening in the room. and It was hard for other folks not engaged in that way to be part of the conversation. So I think it's going to be a really new skill set for people to learn going forward. But unlike Nikki, I do think people are going to rush. I do think people will rush back to the office. And that will then create a two-tier society, not of haves and have-nots, but people who choose to be uh, working in central London or Manchester or wherever else, or the office of choice through choice, and those who choose to stay working at home. And I think that's going to create some really interesting dynamics going forward. That's interesting. because One of the things we struggled at when we're looking at diversity in the industry is the kind of nine-to-five office regime with drinks afterwards caters for a married man who has a wife or a child carer at home. And I think the interesting of years of banging our heads against the, the door on this kind of stuff, this if there's very few silver linings to COVID, but one of them has been forcing the concept of working from home, uh, flexi time, job sharing, uh, different hours, all those things, because you don't need to be physically in office at a certain time. But I do get Nigel's um, point as well. I think there'll need to be a lot more discipline particularly I think when you do business, like you say, you might manage the Zoom call very well with five of you physically in the room, but then the call finishes and you say, funny about that though, wasn't it? Yeah, and you're like, well, that's that's something that might've been good on the call. So I think it's positive, but we're gonna have to be slightly more starzy like in how we organize these things. Yes, yeah, I think it, uh, yes. <laughs> I was about to say, yes, it's one to keep an eye on. And then I went, Stasi like. Um, like yeah. <laughs> more, slightly more discipline. Let's go with that as it's New Year. Okay. Yeah, we could all do with a bit of discipline, I suspect, after, after Christmas festivities. Um, okay, moving us on to the next uh, topic for conversation. Um, funding. So the beginning of uh, last year, we we thought we were in a bit of trouble. Uh, InsurTech funding waned. Um, and, and a lot of people sort of thought that that startup funding across the board, not just insurance, might might struggle with what, you know, given what else was going on in the world. But actually, um, it pretty much bounced back. And, and, and that insurance was no uh, exception there, or InsurTech rather. So um, I think, you know, it, it seems to be that investors have, have looked at what InsurTechs are doing thought about what you know some of the problems we've just discussed of the old guard and thought ah well there's a way to do something quickly let's give them some money they might be able to to get a solution off the ground for this problem um and then you know no surprise that health insurance actually got uh, you know a huge chunk um or, or health insurance providers and, and people doing you know delivering health insurance and health services differently a huge chunk of funding um and then we had some fantastic um ipos so you know you've got lemonade um, was a big one. Um, and then, you you know, they got bigger and bigger until you got to root. Um, so, you know, that was a really good sign, I think, for, for, for the maturation of the industry and, and, and shows that there was across the board, it, it was startups getting investment, it was mid-level getting investment. And then the big guys were kind of, you know, reaching that stage where they could move away from, from needing VC or PE or, or, or whatever they'd been working on to that point. So um, quite a positive story overall, I think. Um, does anybody disagree? People are nodding. Okay, who wants to comment on this one first? Anyone got any favourite raises? Nigel, you've got to have a favourite raise. Well, 
I'm actually encouraged by, I'm a fan of Lacquer. I'm encouraged by the number of um, crowdfunding that's gone on. Never mind Lacquer, but Equips Me have done it, uh, Upside have done it. So it seems that crowdfunding, I think Snoop on the fintech side have you know, raised a load of money in this space. So crowdfunding seems to be a way to engage people. In terms of favorite raises on the bigger side of things, um, I, I was actually, actually going to comment before you asked the question about the thing that surprised us most was six months of zero net new startups which was quite worrying. But on the flip side, as you said, the money the money going into the market has increased. I think it's going to continue to go into the bigger players. And we'll see, we've struggled in Europe around you know, 10, 20s um, uh, investments. Just before Christmas, we had Lupo raise 50 million euros on the same day that Lemonade launched in France. Um, and I think we're going to see lots more 50, 100s, 200s going forward for some of the more mature tech platforms and full stacks as opposed to here's the three million seed to go do something yeah i mean and, and i think we still need that seed funding obviously if we're going to get some of those new businesses off the ground but as you say it's it's good to see perhaps when i was talking about the maturation of the industry i was being too u.s centric i think i agree with you that in europe we, we need to see more sort of diversity across those rounds in in size and, and company type um nikki what are your thoughts on this one I also think we're going to see a, a change between old guard tech providers investing in insure tech. Um, finally, old guard are recognizing that, you, you know, if, if, if you look at people who have proper R&D, some of the big insurers have been R&Ding into, into insure tech and fintech. But old guard tech suppliers have not been top of that list. But they're starting to recognize the need to invest in and partner with. And I think, you know, Sam alluded to some interesting workarounds to get tech working. And I think that that old techers recognize the need for all these portals and everything else that, that, that means we can all work remotely and the client can engage in a different way. And I think we'll see some fairly big investment coming out of some of those. Steve, uh, Steve, yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, if you were, it, it's almost like if you look at taking the insurance away from it and say it's a sector, I think a lot of the increase in funding is a warning sign for some older insurers, where I think that, you know, if I was a heartless hedgy, I'd say, we are going through a period of digital transformation, find me a sector that's really going to struggle with that. And let's see what we can do. So I think there's going to be people are putting a lot more money in disruption. And you'll I think you'll find that if a big insurer isn't isn't panicking now and beginning to work out how they can try and catch up or acquire this, they may have some problems over time because you need one or two of these to have a breakthrough. And, and nobody loves insurance. It's not like the quaint old independent bookstore that's going off to Waterstones or to Amazon. You know, there's no love lost there. So if they can't be front of the race, they're going to be, they're going to lose. Sam, did you have anything you wanted to, to say on this when you were nodding along there? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's not surprising that money's flowed into the insurance sector, not just insurtech, because you've got to look at insurance generally as being quite robust through COVID. You know, I've got a number of different businesses and the insurance led ones were probably the most consistent during this period of time. So these funds still have that level of money to, to, to put out. They're probably not going to put it into the hospitality sector at the moment. And so, you know, they are going to look at industries that they think are going to be secure. And, and as everybody's alluded to, insurance has got a long way to go before it's going to delight the consumers. So I, I think, you know, if I'm sat there on a pile of cash and looking at an industry that, that generates um, a lot of income, that has the opportunity to completely transform 
there's probably not a lot of industries left like insurance that you you could do that in. So, you know, it it makes a a hell of a lot of sense to me that it's continued. And I think it probably will continue upwards again. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And if if you think about companies like Buy Miles, yeah, you know, it's capturing the imagination of the public who say, oh, I don't have to pay X a month forever and ever when I didn't use my car for three months or, you know, <clears throat> you know, my burglary risk must have, must have gone down. I work from home now. I'm, I'm there all day. And I think we're going to see some more personalization come out in product. Um, and, that, and that's really been started by the fact that people are looking for that differential. And I agree with you, Sam. You know, more and more money will pour in, as a, particularly with low interest rates, safe port. Well, I was just going to say, I, I've, I think feeling that I was just like, why didn't it occur to me before? But I should be buying lemonade shares. <laughs> it, just sort of, it just sort of occurred to me. And I was like, hang on a minute. You know better than this. Or, or crowdfund, you know, some of you get participate in some of those crowdfunding rounds. Sorry, Nigel, I'll give you the final word on this one. Yes. I just think you're, you're spot on. I mean, I'm with Nikki in terms of the, the buy Mars and the covers. They've truly changed the narrative for insurance and will set the bar for some of the bigger providers. It, it, without any doubt, the same for Stella in Australia. Thanks to Sam. Um, on, on the on the IPO side, as we'll talk about funding, you have to you know Root versus Lemonade is a tale of two cities. Go go look at where they finished at the end of last year and look at how much up one was and how much down the other was. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand why actually. You need to dig into a lot more detail to work out why one is up you know, north of 20 or 25% and the other is, is down the same. Uh, one's in renters and one's in motor. And it's, it's really interesting to watch. It will be, um, I think, I think next, I think um, this, this coming year is going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, just generally with funding, because we're still uncertain. We still haven't, you know, vaccines exist, but we still haven't found a solution. We're not out of this yet, guys. So we're going to see the same pattern this year or we're going to see a completely different pattern. So um, I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking about fintech funding again uh, on InsureTech Insider this year. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back very soon. Have you checked out our YouTube channel yet? You'll find hundreds of videos on everything from analysis of the hottest fintech headlines to our predictions for the future of banking. There's tons of exciting content in the pipeline, including our brand new six-part video series, Decoding Banking as a Service. Head to bit.ly forward slash 11FS YouTube to subscribe for instant updates. We've just launched two brand new shows on our LinkedIn page, and if you love our podcast, you should go and check them out. Every Tuesday, we deep dive into the biggest banking and fintech news stories with our show Newsroom. We've already had great episodes on the FinCEN files leak and the Crowdcube and Cedars merger that you can watch back on our LinkedIn or YouTube now. And every Thursday, we speak to experts in technology and financial services about the work that they do and their careers to date. Okay, on with the show. Um, so we're going to pick up on some of the most notable stories uh, from last year now. We're going to start with, um, I'm laughing because of the way that my producer has written this line, Elon Musk, the insurance man, and then in brackets, April 2020. And it reads to me like a film title. Um, <laughs> Tesla decided Maybe. not to renew its directors and officers liability insurance policy for 2019-2020 due to the high premiums quoted by insurance companies. Instead, Elon Musk agreed with Tesla to personally provide coverage equivalent to such a policy for a one-year period. And the other members of the board are third-party beneficiaries of that. Um, Right. 
Where do you want to start with this? Steve, please go for it. Elon Musk is a card, isn't he? Um, I think they, there's a couple of things. I mean, firstly, your own premiums do go up if you tweet market-sensitive information out. Um, funny that affects your DNO premium for a following year with a massive SEC fine. Um, but the, the previous career of me was a lawyer, and if I were the, I, I'd be nervous if I was a director. It's no good saying I'll I'll pay it this year. Your director's obligation is to see those funds somewhere locked up, secured, because that's what insurance policy is designed to do. If your company and your your shells won't be happy if there's an SEC fine from another uh, inadvised tweet, and suddenly he says he's not going to pay. So I'm not, I don't think it's him going to insurance. I think it's him having a, a tantrum, as mm. we've seen before. I think card was a very uh, polite choice of word. <laughs> New resolution. <laughs> I, I love the word <laughs> card, actually. One. I think it's not used enough. Um, <laughs> anybody else have any thoughts on Elon Musk, the polite ones that we can, we can broadcast? Uh, Sam, please go for it. I, I absolutely love him, which probably isn't that surprising because he is a total anarchist and it just appeals to <laughs> side of me. I mean, the, the, the one thing is, I guess, he, he may well think before he makes those tweets, if he's personally culpable for the premium on it, you might find his behaviour is a lot better behaved than he is. <laughs> true, true. Um, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to me for Tesla to look at motor insurance. makes total sense to me because they are massively overpriced in the market because of and there's all sorts of valid reasons for that most of which are within his control so i I actually think him moving into insurance from from a motor perspective may you know makes a lot of sense and and would be a real challenge for the industry because he he would be able to manage certain um aspects a lot better than, than we can as an independent yeah, I think I think that's a very valid. I I agree that Tesla looking at motor insurance would be a really good idea. I'm not sure Elon Musk should be offering to underwrite it personally for every Tesla sold. Though we could probably afford to do that. Probably could. Um, Nigel, are you going to defend Mr. Musk? I, I am actually. I, I, I like everyone else. I think he's amazing. Right? I love him. I love the the brilliance, the genius, the craziness, and all that sort of stuff. I actually think the story here is more about self insurance. And what's going to happen to industry if premiums from insurers go up so much and you have the ability to self-insure? Do we see a level of commerciality uh, coming into play that says, if you look at NASA, NASA never do public insurance. Everything is done through self-insurance. Is it going to get to the state where you have um, municipal buildings or corporations going, we've got enough capital ourselves. Why are we going to pay someone else to manage the premium? Let's just, let's just self-insure, which is in essence what he's doing. It, Regardless of his actions and his tweets and what's not, he, he in essence just turns around and said, I can afford to self-insure. So will we see that happening across the spectrum for um, personal lines, for commercial, whatever else? I see your point. I think that's a really interesting point. I think that I want to, to highlight Steve's point, though, of do you, as the rest of the company, the board, the shareholders, trust the person who says they are self-insuring? What mechanisms do you have in place to insure? I know I wouldn't trust Elon Musk as far as I could throw him. I don't think he's amazing. I think he's a lunatic and his arrogance has gotten him far further than it ever could have done. We won't go into that. Um, Nikki, uh, what do you think on on this one? I'll let you have the final word. Everyone needs a bit of arrogance. Um, Self-insurance is nothing new. Yeah. my fear is that if we can't get our underwriting sorted and we can't get our actuaries in the industry to recognize how we're trading, why we're trading that way and what we're trading on, yeah, you will see people say, I can afford to replace my car. You know, people have got savings. 
they're not earning interest rates. Why would you pay out a thousand pound in premium when you haven't had a claim in 20 years just in case you drove into a wall? I think it is a real risk. I don't think it's going to hit us next year um, or the year after. But I think that if we, you know, and you'll see it with BI premium, you'll see it with um, PI premiums. You know, it is it is a risk to us. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can absolutely see people's attitudes going that way. Um, right. We're going to move on to the next story, which is the uh, High Court case um, around uh, whether insurers should have been paying out on business interruption policies for small businesses in particular. Um, so after the lockdown started in March, um, a lot of businesses had to close uh, and then they had to close again in November and in certain parts of the country, they've had to close again in December. Um and so they were looking to insurers to cover their losses through their business interruption policies. Um, but uh, a lot of those policies, uh, insurers said that they, they weren't, wouldn't pay out, essentially, because pandemics were not uh, included in their coverage, um, which resulted in a court case to decide whether, uh, whether insurers should have done that, essentially. Um, Insurers, you know, pretty much stood by their ground. There was there was quite a few of them uh, called called up, and the high court um, at, at the time we're recording this has not yet decided. I think they've been uh, talking, thinking about what they've heard for for a couple of weeks now, um, but it will eventually decide on the correct interpretation of seventeen so called business interruption policies, um, which the ruling um, could then spread out and affect up to three hundred and seventy thousand firms. So the outcome of that court case. Um, will be a biggie. It may be by the time we go out that that verdict has been reached. Um, but what what do we what, what do we think about this? What were your views when it started, and have they changed over time? Given what else we've seen, Nikki, go for it. I said I said when it first came up, it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassment <coughs> for our industry. It it does nothing for our reputation. Um, you know, we have allowed the industry to have looser and looser policy wordings, more and more open to interpretation in an effort to, to clear English and short wording. I know that Nigel will no doubt come in on a point that there's a clause on page 148 of a, you know, and I'll leave Nigel to pick up on that. But but I, I still think it's it's appalling for our industry to leave small business in this way. I just, you know, I, I, I find it embarrassing to be part of an industry that can leave that exposure. Um, you know, if, if, if they could pay them something so these businesses could survive and then decide in court, maybe that would be a better solution. Mm, or maybe I'm just getting soft in my old age. <laughs> Sam? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with Nikki. It's been absolutely appalling from a reputational basis. But I, I, what I don't know is can the industry actually withstand it? Because it, it, it is an industry. We're not a government. And I think the problem with insurance is there are certain sets of circumstances that are completely beyond anybody's expectations, that there is a sort of public expectation that insurers will step in. And I understand with the business interruption why they felt that they would be covered. But I also have a degree of sympathy that if all of the insurers that offer business interruption insurance go bust, that doesn't help anybody either so I you know I think where we failed spectacularly was in the communication and the mediation of the, the the process and that may have still ended up in a situation where we said we we can't give you what you need and we can't give you what you want but here's the balance and this is how we move forward but it's been a lot better than the sort of fear response of shut us up like we don't want to talk about this. This is uncomfortable, and we're running for the hills. 
Yeah, I think there's a definite lack of empathy from the stories that I've heard and, and read. I think the insurance industry, uh, you know, it did reputational damage for not paying out. But I think perhaps the bigger reputational hit, and we, as we've always said many times before, there aren't many insurers who people love anyway, um, was on the way they did it. You know, there are ways of delivering bad news, guys, um, and, and just saying computer says no and and shutting down the case is probably not the way forward when somebody's business livelihood and, and probably you know possibly even home etc is on the line uh nigel thoughts i don't agree with nikki i'm not embarrassed by it i think this is an amazing industry that people haven't taken enough time to fall in love with but i'll come back to that later on in predictions um communications i agree uh, sam is bad and could have been better but dare I say, I remember my dad saying to me for years, le caveat emptor, you know, let the buyer beware. Have we actually paid enough attention into what we're buying in the first place? And the answer is probably not. And that falls on the buyer. And if there was a broker or, or something in the middle, also the broker as well as the carrier for educating people on what they're actually getting and what they're not getting. So I do, you know, we, let's not forget, we've paid out hundreds of millions of pounds in claims for COVID across BI, across health, across wedding cancellation not all of them of course we've had people on the show that have not been uh, not been paid out i've had issues myself but let's not forget to sam's point this is an industry and where there was coverage wimbledon was the famous example had a pandemic policy in place and it paid out i think i think i, I see your point nigel i think i would stand by my comment that the empathy was still lacking and to your point it's you know on the buyer to understand what they're buying i do i do agree with you to a certain extent but insurers don't make it easy for me to know what i'm buying um and that I agreed you know rightly or wrongly that does give me a sense of you're trying to trick me here what is on page what is clause 72 page 148 what have you hidden in there um so uh, I'll, I'll hand over to steve for the for the final word on this one Oh, good, because it sounds like, right. So, yeah, so so insurance centre, not very good at comms, is hardly a wrap-up for 2020. It's every year since 1920, <laughs> I'd imagine. And I fully get that. But what's interesting is, um, perhaps wrapping it all together, is, is the need for a more holistic response. So you look at things like the FCA and the comp- particularly the FCA, but also actually the Competition and Markets Authority that have stepped up, say, on wedding policies to say, yeah, in these cases, you should put out, pay out. But in these cases, wedding venues, you shouldn't withhold all this. I'm keeping all your money because you didn't meet the specific date. So, so. If you say, which in any example, if you say one party must bear all the pain, that is a disaster. If you say we all must understand, maybe there's a reduced. The problem is going to court doesn't give you the holistic reduced payout. Somebody will win and somebody will lose. And I agree. I don't, I don't think the sector has the money because if it, they lose on this one, they'll lose on all of them. Very Just very quickly, even the court case has baffled me to some extent when the judges rule something along the lines of the word vicinity could be used to describe the entire UK. That doesn't help anyone. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but no, I, yep, I, I see. I mean, yes, a, lo- a lawyer perhaps would say that, but um, sorry, <laughs> <Stay>. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I'm going to bring us on to uh, something that um, hopefully we can talk less about this year. Scooters, uh, freely available to buy in the UK, but can still only be ridden on private land with the permission of the landowner, except where legal trials have rented electric scooters on public roads, cycle paths. And lanes are allowed. That's cycle lanes, not just country lanes. Um, that those trials began on the fourth of July last year. Um, the trial uh, is continuing into this year. Uh, e-scooters are classified as motor vehicles under it, and you need a driving license and insurance to ride one. 
insurance will be provided by the rental provider so it's not like uh, yeah it's not like car insurance sorry it is like car insurance um but the rules around this mode of transport are complicated um electric scooter riders apparently risk a 300 pound fine and six penalty points in their driving license but um i don't know what you do about that when the person riding the scooter is a 16 year old coming at you at 30 miles an hour at the pavement who clearly doesn't have a driving license and therefore points are not going to be much of a threat um, there are some users, adult users, uh, who don't realise their car insurance premiums could rise if they are actually convicted. Although I don't know that I've heard of anybody being convicted. I think the police perhaps consider that they have other things to be doing. Um, it, you know, it, the problem remains, I think, people don't know the rules, but people are being irresponsible on them. And they're always there's always going to be those people. So... I don't really know how you solve this one. I think, you know, having insurance available is, is a good thing. But I think until you make it, you you know, it, you can't sell an e-scooter unless an insurance policy is included. And therefore, the person paying for the e-scooter is paying for insurance, which takes us on to kind of like the idea of embedded insurance, I suppose. Unless you make that a legal requirement. I, I don't know where we get to with this because it all sounds great, but I, I can't see any police officer stopping the 16-year-old who comes past me every morning with his younger brother on the front of the scooter, with bag in hand, scooting on a main road. You know, I I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe somebody has thought about this more deeply than me. I love the idea of seven-day scoot-away. I think that would be great, you know, so the same as seven-day drive-away. Um, they're coming. Sorry, I think they're a menace if they're on pavements heading at me, but they're coming. You know, um, maybe not in, in, in rural areas, but in urban areas where you've got, you know, flower pots blocking roads and you've got, you know, people being encouraged to use alternative forms of transport. It's coming, isn't it, Nigel? It's coming. Don't pick on me. You are right. It is inevitable. And they are really cool and smart. And I will I will be seen riding one next year. How's that for a, a prediction? Uh, well, only if I have insurance, of course. I nearly ran some prass over last bit last last year, coming out of the the boot camp at six in the morning, wherever it was, and no lights, crossing a road, all in black. Good news was he was wearing a face mask. Bad news, no helmet. I'm like, you clearly back to our previous story. If they can't understand what they're buying in the first place, I mean, honestly, they just don't need them. I I, I think I don't I don't know the answer. I think the answer is going to be a pool restyle solution to say once we've lost a number of lives. And people have people have woken up to national news um, saying X Y Z persons being killed or X number of deaths being uh, seriously injured. We have to do something. Unfortunately, by letting the toothpaste out of the tube, it's going to be very hard to get back in or fix once we let this thing go. Yeah, I think that's the problem. The problem, of course, is though, to your point, Nigel, that we've seen psych how many people are killed by cyclists and how many cyclists are killed every year. And I think I've only seen one. There was the one case that was very famously taken to court, and the the gentleman had to. I don't think he was a gentleman. The man um, at, was found at fault and ordered <coughs> to pay a very large fine. But that doesn't stop cyclists acting like menaces on on country lanes, footpaths, and everything else. Um, Steve. Yeah, that's exactly. I was about to say. I think when we looked at this before um, for insurance, and I, I'm on the edge of a low traffic neighbourhood to give you an idea how much I love them. Um, uh, it, I don't think, as a date of recording, that there has been a successful cycle insurance scheme anywhere in the world. It has been tried, but it's super, super difficult to individualise it. So you either say that there's going to be an initial tax on purchase or transfer, 
and the government's going to have to step up and do it. Well, you either say that. I don't think there's another scheme. Individual cyclists, because you, you're right. How do you insure children? How do you insure people who buy them as toys? Um, I, you know, I do remember back in the good old days, says he, that used to have things like cycling proficiency and things like that, where the state took a role in trying to educate people on how you manage this stuff. I don't know if they helped at all, but we just seem to give people a load of scooters and say, you actually work it out. And I rarely see scooters on uh, on roads, frankly. You can mm. just hear a buzz behind you at some speed on the pavement. But I do, I, I'm not sure an individualistic insurance model will work because the other thing is by the way i think this improvements will be quite expensive yeah there's a lot of damage you could do on a pavement with a scooter oh yeah coming at you at 30 miles an hour downhill with no lights on which is what they come at mm-hmm. you know around here um sam i'm going to give you the final word because otherwise i shall just rant for the next 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to be pretty militant i think absolute ban on using them on pavements we wouldn't allow a motorbike to drive down a pavement it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous you know, forget whether they should be insured or not, because, you know, sorry, Nigel, but I also hate cyclists with uh, the heat of a thousand <laughs> and, and the reason that I hate cyclists is because they are, they, you know, they, we're told that we have to treat them like cars when they're on the road, but they're not a car. They're doing five, ten miles an hour. They're blocking the road. If there was an elderly person driving around in their car doing five miles an hour, stopping all the traffic and causing accidents because people were having to overtake them, the police would intervene. So why do I have to tolerate it with cyclists? Oh, Sam White, I'm disgusted. (laughs) Nigel, Nigel, everybody is with Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Except you. Yay, go Sam. We we are all on her side. Uh, So I am going to leave it there um, and we're going to get on to some predictions. So we've talked about the year that was. Let's talk about the year that is coming. Um, Personal predictions for this year, insurance related. Um, You have all had time to think about this. So I'm hoping you have something prepared. I'll be interested to see if we have any duplicates because I don't think producer Hannah asked you for them in advance. Um, Sam, do you want to go first? Um, Personal predictions or what would I like to see? (laughs) Oh, either. I will accept either. I'm feeling very lenient. So for me, I I want the insurance industry as a whole to um, make the onboarding process easier. We're archaic. It's ridiculous that we have to ask so many questions of people to get a quote. You know, no other industry does that. Or, you know, everything else that I engage with makes life easier for me. They, They drag my data from the universe of data that we're all of, that we have no idea where they get it from, but we probably agreed to it in some statement. They serve me up with whatever I want, whenever I want it. The fact that we're still in this process, you know, and and the price comparison sites are part of the challenge here because their systems aren't really integrating well with everything else to make that process simpler. But I I would just like to see a one click. You give me my price. I don't have to mess around. I say yes or no and move on. Okay. I can agree with that. I would like to see that too. Um, price comparison sites drive me nuts, the amount of data that you have to put in and then rah. Uh, Nikki, how about you? Yeah, along the same lines, you know, we only need two pieces of data if we were allowed to access all the databases. So um, I would like to see more self-service. It really frustrates me that I cannot self-serve my insurance needs. You know, do you mean, do you mean me, things like sort of adjusting a policy or changing yeah, a policy? Adjust, yeah. Adjusting a policy, making a change. It's some, some you can, but generally we struggle with releasing that to the client. And I'd like to see some more personalization in, in product. You know, I, I want to see us think about 
the person, the family, the unit and their insurance needs. We've made a start, but we need, I think it goes back to Steve's earlier point, we need to drag our quill, pen, parchment, toting colleagues with us because it's going to take some vision in there to do that. Well, let's let's hope we do. I can agree with that one as well. As somebody who recently moved house and had to phone their insurance provider to change my address, they then sent me six duplicate letters, <laughs> all saying exactly the same thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't have six policies. Like, what, what what's going on? They just had to use up their paper allowance for the year. If you'd had six policies, you'd have needed to have phoned them six times. Almost <laughs> <laughs> yes. certainly. Yes. Oh yeah, different department, <laughs> yeah. madam. Um, Steve, how about you? So similar, but more specific. I think when we look at InsureTech, I, I would like the InsureTech people or investors to take a long, hard look at some of the health tech stuff. I think globally, I think we, have, we haven't done very well with our app in the UK, but healthcare, health tech, I think, is way ahead of InsureTech when you look at some of the stuff they can do remotely. And it's very specific. So there aren't excess questions. It's like A, B equals C. Thank you very much. Use of that thinking outside the box for non-health questions would be brilliant, which I think ties in. I think a result of COVID is a the authorities and the regulators stamping harder on our terrible, which is a better word I was going to use, uh, customer service in the insurance sector. So they'll say, irrespective of what the um, uh, wording says, we're going to give TCF some real teeth, and we think it's fair that you do this. Uh, and lastly, because it's our a cause close to my heart um i'd like to see a big move which we struggled with before covid on getting actuaries to understand the needs of transgender customers that's more like what i'd like to see and if you have me on in 10 years time i'd probably still be arguing the same bloody thing but there we go i opt i i like i like them um i'm i would like to see all three i i share your your sentiment that perhaps the last one um we i still can't get them to give me an option to have no title so um (laughs) you know i i i I can't i can't see them coming that quickly on that one sad as it is um nigel how about you i've got a couple um, of course you have nigel well it's just related but actually we've actually touched on in in the show and the first one was was mentioned by steve i actually think we're going to find love this year Uh, and what i mean by that is i think not steve and i sorry steve uh, (laughs) okay that's fine nigel i'm flattered (laughs) (laughs) um but actually i think the we're going to find carriers are going to find a way and sure are going to find a way to find, to, to make insurance more lovable. And we have to, we haven't got a choice, but to let people understand what it is we do, why we exist, where we're the good guys and where we're the bad guys. This is, uh, you know, as a result of the BI case, as a result of the price comparison sites, as a result of uh, the price walking investigation by, by the FCA, all that leads to help me understand more and make it meaningful why I'm buying insurance. So, so we're going to find love is my, is my prediction or hope. Uh, number two is we're going to see a load more consolidation. And I don't just mean in tech. You saw just before, or just, just before the beginning of the new year, Zigo bought Drivit from a telematics perspective uh, that, that went out there. Risk Genius was uh, picked up by Bowl Penguin in North America. So you see lots of people consolidating to go, actually, these point in techs are lovely, but they don't solve the the bigger problem. Let's bring some of them together to make a more holistic end-to-end offer. But even the RSA intact stuff that's going on, again, it's another interesting perspective around we're going to make these things bigger and take out, uh, make it more efficient going forward for people to engage. And then finally, my last one is that Sam and I are going to go to bike ride. <laughs> 
I think yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic about two of those, <laughs> Nigel. And Steve and yeah. I will be there to video it just before Sam <laughs> yeah, and I I'm more like to get hand. transgender equality. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Win-win. Win-win. All right. Um, I think, you know... <clears throat> I think they're all they're all positives, and I think we'll we'll see we'll see a lot more kind of change in the in the coming year. Just I think my my main thinking um, is to follow up on on Nida's point about consolidation is how that's you know that that that's transferred to the end customer then. And I and I think it picks one point that you've all mentioned, but I will no longer have five different insurance policies that I have to go and buy from Compare the Market or Money Supermarket or whatever. When I'm buying my holiday, it will be insured. I already, you know, I, I rent a car. It's it's insured. I don't pay for anything extra. I just have it, and it comes with it. What I think we're all, almost already there with that. I think we're seeing a lot of this kind of like bundled insurance, embedded insurance, whatever you want to buy. But to Nikki's point, I want to see it personalised. I don't want to just get the one insurance policy that that partner, that car has partnered with. I want them to see, okay, well, there might be four different insurance policies that we could offer that customer. So um, I, I think we'll be. And Sarah, uh, uh, as advised, always use a broker. Now, that's an interesting point, and I <laughs> we don't have time to pick it up now. But that is a a very interesting topic. Perhaps we can we'll ask Hannah to think about that. Why don't people use brokers? Is it just because they're too expensive, or do they not trust them? Or, or, or? so I think perhaps worth exploring a, this year. There's a show. There's a show idea for us. Brilliant. All right. Well, that wraps up this discussion. Uh, thank you so much to my guests and to Nigel. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you, Sam? Um, definitely LinkedIn. That is my most prolific platform. So Sam White, um, CEO Freedom Services Group on LinkedIn. Perfect. Nikki? Uh, also LinkedIn, Nikki Daniels um, and websites. Brilliant. Yourselves. <laughs> Steve? Uh, uh, corporate, emeraldlife.co.uk. If you want to see pictures of dogs and me in drag, then Twitter <laughs> at Wardlaw Steve. Oh, right. I'm following the wrong Twitter account. <laughs> um nigel how about you i will try not to be giving out so much about scooters this year but it's gonna fail no doubt on twitter at nigel walsh and you can find me on twitter responding to nigel's scooter stories with horrified emojis um at sarah kachansky um as always you can find the show on twitter at intertech insiders or our 11fs linkedin page that is 11 colon fs and if you like what you've heard this week don't forget to subscribe to the podcast which you can find on spotify and all your other podcast providers uh insure tech insider will be back very soon and until then happy new year and goodbye